All right, we're continuing our series called The Remarkable Power of Jesus. We're going through the gospel according to Mark, so open your Bible or access your device to Mark chapter 1, verse 14, Mark 1, 14. And today we're going to talk about if you aren't fishing, then you aren't following. You know, we're going to see Jesus today at the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a freshwater lake. And the Lord has blessed me to allow me to have been there over 30 times through the years. And God willing, about three weeks from now, I'll be there with another group. And it is an amazing place. It is the, a freshwater lake, and it's the lowest lake in terms of elevation on the planet. It is 600 feet below sea level, teeming with fish and life and wildlife. It's a beautiful place. And whenever I'm there and I will walk around the shores, I'm, I'm reminded that this is the same shore, the same water, it's the same sun, it's the same mountains, uh, there today that were there when Jesus was there. It just reminds me again, folks, that this is not just some fairy tale. This is not some fictional story. These are stories about real people and real places and real things that happen. And so it just makes it more real to me. Now, he's going to call his first four disciples and tell them to, he wants them to fish for people. So let's read about that. Uh, you're welcome to stand with me as we honor God through the reading of his word, Mark 1:14. After John, that's John the Baptist, was arrested. By the way, he was arrested by Herod Antipas. Later, he's going to have his head removed from his neck by Herod Antipas. And we'll read about that in Mark 6. Jesus went to Galilee. Now, that's the base of his ministry. Proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As he passed along the Sea of Galilee, Lake Gennesaret, he saw Simon. Now, he's going to rename Simon Rocky or Peter. That's what the word means, Petros. And Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, there's that word again, immediately they left their nets and followed him Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Now, that's the Apostle John. We're studying Revelation uh, on Wednesday nights. The same John. He's a young man here in a boat putting their nets in order. Immediately. There's the word again, that key word in Mark. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Let's pray. Father... I pray that today we will all hear your call to bring people to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. Be seated. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't say, follow rules. He said, follow me. I'm so glad he didn't say, follow a religion. He said, follow me. You see, friends, Christianity is not a religion to be endured. It is a relationship to be enjoyed. And he developed a relationship with these men and taught them to bring people to saving faith in him. Now, the reason he came was not to just heal people. If, if the primary reason Jesus came was to heal the sick, he would have built a beautiful hospital and lived to a, a ripe old age. He, he didn't primarily come to teach. If he had come to teach mainly, he would have built a seminary or a university and lived to a ripe old age. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. He came to give his life 
a ransom for money. He came to die on the cross for people's sins. And he has commissioned us, just like he commissioned these four disciples, to bring people to him. Now, why did you think he said to these guys, follow me and I'll teach you how to fish for people? Because they were fishermen. You notice he never said that when he called the other disciples. Later on, he's going to call Matthew, who was a tax collector. He didn't say, Matthew, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of people. But Matthew knew what he was talking about. And he did that thing because after he quit his job as a tax collector... He had a supper for sinners and invited Jesus there. And Jesus was there with all the other sinful tax collectors. Matthew was doing his job to help bring people to Jesus. And, and so really, think for a moment, whatever, whatever you're good at, whatever your profession is, your career, your hobby, your skills, Jesus is calling you today, but he may not call you to fish for people. Uh, if you're a banker, he may say, follow me and I'll, I'll teach, teach you what real saving is all about. If you're a teacher or an educator, he might say, follow me, and I'll teach you what it means to, to share information that transforms lives, not just informs minds. If you're a builder or you're in construction, he would say, follow me, and I'll teach you how to let people build strong, stable, healthy lives. On and on you could go. If you're a dentist, he says, follow me, and I'll teach you how to fill in the void places in people's lives. So just fill in the blank for you. Whatever it is you do, Jesus is calling you to do something that you're already skilled at, to use your platform to bring people to Jesus Christ. But it's because this is about fishing. I happen to be good friends with one of the most famous professional bass fishermen in America, Jay Ellis. And he taught me a few years ago, what are, what are some really good fishing tips that apply to reaching people for Christ? Because he's passionate about that as well. So in this message... Very simple. I want to give you five fishing tips, okay? And if you guys or ladies that are fishermen or fisherwomen, you'll know that these tips really work. Number one, tip number one, to catch fish, you must go where the fish are located. That's, that, that's the first thing. You just can't stay at home and catch fish. You've got to go to the places where the fish are located. Somebody sent me a funny picture a while back of a guy fishing in a pothole in a road. Now, he probably calls that fishing, but... He's not going to catch any fish. You have to go to where the fish are located. And they're in the lakes, the ponds, the streams, the oceans. Now, Jay Yellis was, 2002, he was the Bassmaster champion for all the Bassmaster. And he was a member of our church in Tyler for about 10 years. He's since moved back to Portland. But we have been good friends for a long time. And before he would ever go to any tournament, I'd go over to his house and I'd lay hands on his rod and reels and his boat and his rigs and just pray over him like that. He really strongly believed in that. And we talked about fishing for a long while, but finally he just said, he stayed after me. He said, David, I wanted to take you fishing. Go fishing with me. So one day, finally, we actually went fishing. We went to Lake Tyler where the fish were. And it wasn't an ideal condition for catching fish that day because it was a little windy, the, uh, the water was a little stained, and the temperature had changed recently. He says, not the best conditions, but you know what? He said, we're going to catch some fish. So we went out there on the lake. We stayed about a couple of hours, and even though it wasn't in the best conditions, Jay was able to pull in seven or eight pretty nice-sized bass that, of course, he released. But the crazy thing is, I'm sitting seven feet away from him, same boat, same spot, same equipment, same bait, and I'm getting skunked. And so toward the end of the time we're there, you know, I make a perfect cast way out there, and it hits the water, and I start reeling it in. All of a sudden, I get a good one. I mean, my rod is bent over double. And I said, fish on, because that's what he said when he would get a fish on. So, fish on. 
I'm reeling it in. I mean, it is heavy. It's not breaking the surface or jumping or anything. He says, hang in there. Bring it in. Bring it in. And then he gets the net, and he's getting ready to dip up this big fish, and I bring it up to the boat, and it is an, an enormous turtle. <laughs> Somehow I had managed to hook that turtle behind the neck on the shell, and he wasn't happy about it. Well, we, we freed the turtle, and Jay was just bent over laughing. He said, Pastor, if we ever start a professional turtle fishing contest or, or tour, you'll be the first one on it. I went fishing with him a number of other times. Great guy. But he would always say, you got to know where the fish are. Not just go to where the fish are. you got to know where they are in the lake or in the river itself. And as the same, through, same thing is true with sharing your faith, bringing people to Jesus. You're probably not going to bring anybody to Jesus here in this place today. You know why? Because most of these folks here today, I know you. Most of you are believers. Most of you are followers of Jesus. All of you may not be, but this is not the place. Out there, right, is the place you have to go to where the people are, where the people who need Jesus are. That's why Jesus said in the Great Commission, go into all the world. You can't spell God without the word go. You can't spell gospel without the word go. You can't spell good news without the word go. And we studied a parable a few uh, weeks ago about the man who threw the big party and he sent out invitations. Everybody started making excuses. Let's see again what he said. In, four, in Luke 14, 23, Jesus said, the master said, then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. He said, go out and bring them in. Have you noticed here in Longview, the same thing is true in Tyler, lost people without Christ aren't knocking the doors down in churches to get in. They're not lined up to get in churches when, when the doors are open. You, we have to go out there for them and when he said my house may be full he's not talking about the church house he's talking about the household of faith we need to go to the places where they are you know max Lucado is a good friend of mine i've been with him a number of times i love to read his writings and and let me quote something he wrote about this he says jesus wasn't crucified in a church building over a baptistry between an organ and a piano in front of a bunch of coats and ties he was crucified on a cruel cross between two hardened criminals. He wasn't crucified in a nice neighborhood, but at the crossroads of the world, so cosmopolitan that his crime had to be written in three languages. He died at the kind of place where thieves cursed, soldiers gambled, and that's where we need to take the gospel. I say amen to that. Here's the second fishing tip for you. To catch fish, you must understand how fish behave. And I was amazed that Jay understood if we come to like a pile of, of uh, trees or uh, stumps or something or a dock, he would know where the fish would be in there because he, he knew according to the temperature and everything, he knew how they would act. And that's, that's a, something you have to know about people who don't know Christ. Here's the problem. The longer we are Christians and the longer we're in the church, the fewer friends we have and relationships we have of pe with people that don't, don't know the Lord. Because we love this sweet fellowship, right? Oh, this sweet, wonderful fellowship, our holy huddle. We love it. But, you know, we need to make friends with people who don't know the Lord. For the purpose of bringing them to faith in Christ, we need to make friendships so we can build bridges of relationships and then at some time walk across that bridge and tell them about Jesus Christ. Now, you don't have to be a fish to understand fish, right? You don't have to become 
like a lost person. You just have to understand them. The Bible says that Jesus was a friend of sinners. There was a lady that was in our church in Tyler. She's since moved to California. Her name is Annette. And she really had a heart to reach people. And she said that she would join city and civic organizations just so she could have a Christian influence there. She called those clubs and meetings, she called them her fishing spots. I really always admired her for having that heart and desire. In Luke 16, Jesus tells one of his strangest parables. He talks about a, a boss who tells his accountant, he says, you know what, you're not doing a good job, so you're fired, so settle the accounts. So this, this accountant, he's, he's pretty shrewd, and so he figures out what he's going to do. He says, you know, I'm too old to dig. I don't want to beg for a living, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to treat his customers, my boss's customers, in such a good way that when I'm fired, they will welcome me into their homes. So here's what he did. Jesus is telling this now. I'm not making it up. So one guy comes in, and, and the accountant says, okay, you owe $1,000? Let's just make it 500 okay? Sure. Oh, you, you owe $100? <laughs> Let's just make it 50 Pretty smart, huh? Well, actually, his boss heard about it. And here's what Jesus said the boss said. This is Luke 16, 8. The master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. And then Jesus makes an observation. He says, for the children of this age, meaning people without Christ that are only living in this age, are more shrewd than children of the light, that's us, in dealing with their own people. And that's why Jesus went on to say you need to be as as wise as serpents, but as harmless as doves. So can you think of some people in your circle of relationship right now that they don't know Jesus Christ? Maybe you need to develop a friendship with somebody at your job or at school or in your neighborhood because they don't know Christ, and, and you just need to befriend them for the sake of sharing the good news with them. So let me just go to the bottom line real quick here. Why do we want to bring people to Jesus Christ so we'll have more people in our church know so that they can live a better quality life? Well, that's part of it. But the bottom line is this. We, we never should forget that people who die without a relationship with Jesus Christ spend eternity in a Christless place called hell. I know that's not politically correct. You don't hear many people talking about hell anymore, but hell is real. Jesus spoke about it a number of times. You know, a writer who had, has had a great influence on my life was a guy by the name of Leonard Ravenhill. He wrote a book, Why Revival Tarries. And in this book, he writes about... Um, a, a, Leonard Ravenhill was from England. He writes about a British murderer, a criminal who was very well known. In fact, if you go to Madame Tussauds Wax Museum in London, you can see this guy in part of the Chamber of Horrors. His name was Charlie Peace. And he was, the morning of, he was going to be executed by hanging, he's walking to the gallows, and there's a chaplain from the Anglican Church just reading just nonchalantly out of the Book of Prayer you know, with monotone, no emotion, no empathy at all, just reading, and he was re writing, reading about heaven and hell. And this is what Charlie Peace said, and Leonard Ravenhill called it an Eve of Hell sermon. Charlie Peace said, Sir, if I believe what you and the Church of England say that you believe about heaven and hell, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it. 
if need be, on my hands and knees and think it a worthwhile living just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. Those are powerful words. Number three, to catch fish, you must use a variety of strategies. And that's the thing I noticed about Jay. We went out on his really nice bass boat, and he, he had seven or eight rods and reels with different baits on it, one with worm, a jig, plug. And if one wasn't working for a while, he'd just try another strategy. He'd just pick up another rod and reel and try it again like that. There's a lot of different ways to catch fish. You agree? I mean, there's rod and reel. There's cane pole. There's uh, trot lines. There's nets. There's even crazy rednecks that, that reach up under mud and bring out catfish. It's called noodling. There's a lot of different ways to catch fish. And so there's a lot of different strategies you can use to reach people for Christ. You know, I, I love Billy Graham, who went to be with the Lord just a few years ago. You know, it was said about Billy Graham that he preached the gospel face-to-face to more people than anyone in history, and probably anyone who will in history, because crusades, live crusades, aren't uh, in vogue anymore. It's more like using the media today. But in his ministry, he, it is estimated that he preached to over 300 million people. Now, when you think about fishing, that'd be like one of the big, huge commercial fishing boats out there dragging the sea, you know, catching thousands of fish. But, you know, most fish that are caught are caught by one person with one rod and reel or one person with a cane pole. And most people who are led to Christ are not led to Christ in big groups like crusades. Most people who come to Christ are led to Christ one-on-one, and most people who come to Christ are not led to Christ in a church building. It's like Philip in Acts chapter 8. He's out in the desert sitting in a, standing in a chariot with an Ethiopian government official, and he leads him to Christ one-on-one. That's, that's how most people come to faith in Christ. And one of the best ways to do that is to understand your audience, understand who you're talking to, because you can't use the same strategy for every person. This was Paul's strategy. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, 22. To the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that I may in every possible means save some. Now, I do all this because of the gospel. What does that mean? When he talked to Jews, he had one message. When he talked to Gentiles, he had another message. But then you go over to Acts 17 where he's uh, speaking to the philosophers in Athens, Greece. He, He speaks like an intellectual. He even quotes one of their poets. That's the approach we need to use depending on the person that we're touching. Now, by the way, evangelism is a team sport. I mean, part of it is planting seeds, wherever you go, planting seeds of the gospel. One of the things we did for years at Green Acres, I'm, fi- I'm glad to know that Moberly has done it too, is every year we would have a real emphasis called intentional acts of kindness in Jesus' name, in which we would pass out kindness cards, and Jan LaJoy gave me one that y'all have used in the past, and we're going to do it again this spring. It's where you do some good act, and then you make sure the person gets this card so you don't get the glory Jesus gets the glory because this is just wanted to show you the love of Jesus in a practical way. Your friend at Moberly Baptist Church with contact information there. So one of the things that we did in, in Tyler, and you've probably done it here too, our, our people would pull up to drive through in a fast food place, and they say, I don't, not only want to pay for my food, I want to pay for the food in the car behind me. And then they'd give a card to the cashier, and when the car pulls up, the cashier will say, well, you know what? That person, the car in front of you, paid for your meal and then hand them the card. 
Well, one of our administrative assistants at Green Acres, she wrote me this letter a while back about what happened when she did that. She said, I decided because it was Valentine's Day, I would go to a Chick-fil-A and pay for the two cars behind me. So I got up to the window. I told the fellow that I wanted to pay for the two cars behind me, and I gave him two of our kindness cards to hand to them. He looked at the cash register, and then he looked at me with a stunned look on his face. He said, well, ma'am, you're the hundredth customer today, so all of it's going to be free. (laughs) She said, isn't God good? There are lots of different ways you can show God's kindness and plant seeds of evangelism. Here's the fourth fishing tip, though. To catch fish, you must expect to catch fish. Expect to catch fish. If you go out saying, I'm not going to catch any fish, might as well not be there. Now, Jay, as I said that day, we went the first time we went. He said, you know, the conditions aren't good, but you know what? I guarantee you we're going to catch some fish. Now, I grew up fishing with my dad. That was our thing to do, and I have great memories of fishing with my dad hundreds of times. And then after I got married, my wife's husband, my wife's husband, that's me. (laughs) Yeah, my wife's husband, me, fished with my wife's dad, Jr. And he made popping bugs for fly fishing. So we'd go to a lake in central Alabama, and we would fly fish for brim and for bass. We loved doing that. I did that for many years. Uh, after I moved here 30 years ago, I didn't do a whole lot of fishing unless it was fishing for lost golf balls in the water hazard at a golf course, okay? But about four years ago, I started fishing again. No, I'm sorry. I didn't start fishing again. I started catching again because I never really enjoyed the going and not catching anything. So there's this guy in our church, Lee Chafin. He has this farm down near Palestine, Texas, And he's got this lake that is stocked. I mean, stocked with a capital S. And every time we fish, we catch lots of fish. I've been there, and I've caught a bass on my first throw and a bass on my last. I mean, a bad day, and we usually fish for two hours, is about 30. A good day, we catch about 60 in two hours. And I tried to find this picture. I mean, I went through all my phone to try to find this picture. I have a picture of me holding up hot water plug that's got, you know, several treble hooks on it, and there are two bass on that one plug. I caught two bass at one time. That, that's what I call fishing, right? <laughs> so I guarantee you, every time I make that drive down to Palestine, I, I'm expecting to catch fish. You know, it involves some faith when you fish, because you can't see the fish. You don't know for sure they're going to take the bait. You just, by faith, put that bait out there and hope it entices them. And, and there's an element of faith for you to share the gospel. In a few weeks, we're going to be talking about those four men, unnamed, those four friends who tore up the roof. Remember the story over the head of Jesus and lowered their friend in front of Jesus. And here's what the Bible says. When Jesus saw their faith, not the faith of the paralyzed, when he saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven you you gotta, you got to expect to catch fish. you got to expect that when you share the gospel, that the gospel works, that the gospel has power. When I say you, you got to have confidence, not confidence in you. It's confidence in the Holy Spirit. It's confidence in the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know, one of my good buddies from years ago, because I got to be with him a couple of times personally, was Jerry Clower. Anybody remember Jerry Clower? Whoa! (laughs) 
Jerry one time came and spoke at my church in Alabama. And then we, we went to a Shoney's restaurant afterwards, and I discovered that it's not an act. I, he didn't turn it, turn it off at supper. He entertained everybody in that Shoney's with his stories. But you know, one of Jerry's favorite stories is about Marcel Ledbetter. Nobody was catching fish except Marcel was bringing in a haul every time. So the game warden said, I'm going to go out in a boat with Marcel and disguise myself. He won't know I'm a game warden. I want to see what he's doing. So they go out in the middle of the lake. <laughs> Somebody just laughs because they know the punchline. <laughs> so they're out in the middle of the lake. Marcel pulls out a stick of dynamite from under the seat, lights it, tosses it in the water. Kaboom! Dead fish just come floating up everywhere. And then he takes the net and just dips them up. That game warden pulls out his badge and says, Marcel, you are under arrest. That is illegal. It is immoral. I'm going to put you under the jail for what you're doing. Marcel just picked up another stick of dynamite, lit it, handed it to the game warden. Said, you going to talk or you going to fish? <laughs> it takes faith. And Jesus said, if you, if you go to somebody and you say, well, you wouldn't really want to accept the Lord, would you? That's never going to happen. But if you can say, you know, I've got a, a message for you that changed my life. It's the greatest thing I've ever discovered in my whole life. And Jesus can change your life. Jesus said this about two blind men that asked him to help him. Not, Matthew 9, 28, when he entered the house of the blind men, the blind men approached him. And Jesus said to them, do you believe I can do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes saying, let it be done for you according to your faith. You see, God blesses the level of faith we have. So here's the last fishing tip. To catch fish, you must be patient if you don't catch fish immediately. Now, like I said, I'm not that patient. That's why I'm not a really good fisher person. I, I like to catch them. Because a lot of times you go fishing and you don't catch anything, right? Jay Yellis told me that he has been in tournaments and he has spent an entire day fishing and come out with nothing. But he doesn't quit. He doesn't quit the tournament. He doesn't quit fishing. He just changes the location, changes the strategy. Patience is an art, and it's a virtue. You know, it's not easy to lead somebody to faith in Christ. That's why it's a team effort. That's why we ought to be all working together to plant as many seeds as we can. And I think one reason we're intimidated, at least I am, it's through the years I've heard these evangelists that are super soul winners. You know, they, like he said, I just came off a flight on Delta and I led everybody in coach class to Christ. And, and then on the jetway, I led the flight attendants to Christ. And you're just thinking, wow, how does that happen? I mean, I'm, I, I'm a little intimidated even to initiate a gospel conversation. Well, just understand that it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time and patience. And Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fish for people. In other words, the more you follow Jesus, the closer you follow Jesus, he will train you and lead you and help you know how to do that and give you the boldness to do it. Here's what Jesus, the Bible says about patience. James 5, 7, therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient Strengthen your hearts, because the Lord's coming is near. One of my great heroes, and I encourage you to read about him if you love reading great biographies, was 
George Mueller of Bristol. Uh, he was a great man of prayer and faith. He operated orphanages, a hundred of them in England, and over 100,000 children, orphans, he cared for in his lifetime. But he was also a great soul winner and led many people to Christ. And in his journal, we, we learned something about this. One day, George Mueller started praying for five of his friends to come to Christ. After several months, one of them was converted. Ten years later, two of them were saved. It took 25 years before the fourth man came to Christ. Mueller persevered in prayer until his death, praying for his fifth friend. For 52 years, he never gave up hope that his friend would come to Christ. Mueller died at age 75, and soon after Mueller's funeral, the fifth friend came to Christ. Can you imagine praying for somebody for 52 years and going to heaven before, but then they come to faith in Christ? There's a man in Tyler, and uh, some of you know his name if I told you. I shared Jesus with him 25 years ago. He didn't accept Christ, but he knows I'm praying for him. I'm not giving up. And when I often see him at city events or something, I often say to him, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And the last time we met, I didn't even have to say it. He said, are you still praying for me? I said, I am. I, I really believe he's going to come to faith in Christ because I pray for him regularly. I don't have to share the gospel with him anymore because he knows the gospel. He's heard the gospel. It's just a matter of him being willing to turn from his sin and put his faith in Christ. So in the last service, nobody raised their hand for this. But honestly, is there anybody in this room who has never, ever even been fishing? Come on, that's okay. You never, ever, ever been. Everybody, everybody in this room has been fishing then. Okay, well, wow. Okay, I see a couple of hands back there. Never been fishing. Okay, the next question. If you raise your hand and you've never been fishing, here's the next question. How many of you have ever caught a fish that raised your hand? And you haven't? That's a dumb question, isn't it? Because for sure, if you haven't ever been fishing, you haven't caught a fish. Now, you can go fishing without catching a fish, right? But for sure, you can't catch a fish if you don't go fishing. Let me just say this. At the judgment seat of Christ, the bima, Jesus is not going to evaluate us on how many fish we caught. He's going to evaluate us on how many times we went fishing, how many times we planted seeds of the gospel, how many times we showed somebody the love of Christ in an act of kindness. That's what we'll be judged on. And I'm not talking about bringing thousands to Christ. This is what I'm going to ask you to do today. You've probably already done this, but if you haven't yet, ask God to put one person on your heart, just one, not ten, one person on your heart in your circle of relationships, neighbors, friends, relatives, work associates, people that you go to organizations with, that as far as you know, they don't know the Lord. Just that one person who will be your one? Because I want to tell you, heaven gets excited over one. Jesus said in Luke 15, 10, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Who will be your one? Let's pray. Would you just ask God right now, Father, would you put one person on my heart? Bring, bring to the screen of my consciousness right now a face a name of someone, and I'm going to start praying for them. I'm going to start looking for opportunities to plant seeds of the gospel for them. And as he does that, would you be faithful to him? If there's anyone here today or on 
watching on live stream who doesn't know the Lord and you want to accept Christ today, we want to give you that opportunity. You can just pray this simple prayer sincerely from your heart, but you mean it. Dear God, I admit I am a sinner. I can never be good enough to earn access to heaven. So right now, I surrender my life to you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying to pay for my sin. I receive you in my life as my Lord, and I will live for you forever. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my heart. In Jesus' name, amen.